Well, good morning. I said good morning in first service and silence. Um, so thanks for saying good morning. It's good to be with you in the room. It's good to be with you if you're joining us online today. Um, I am normally teaching in front of high schoolers or middle schoolers. Um, and so I'll just say middle schoolers shout out anything they can possibly think of in the middle of your message. Um, sometimes I think it's that they're distracted and sometimes they're trying to distract me. Um, but little can distract me this morning. Um, and so... That's not like, you know, free reign to like just be on your phone or whatever, like maybe pay attention. But, um, but I'm, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to uh, continue our, our series, Scent, that we're in. And I'm just going to tell you, we're going to just dive right in this morning. We're going we're to jump in. But here's what I want to remind us. If, you are, if you're new, you're visiting, or you haven't been around for a while, you need to know that we are studying through the book of Acts this year. We started in February. We're going to take a little bit of break in the summer, and then we'll be back at it. But today, um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 6. But here's what I want to remind you. I want to remind you why we're calling this series sent. Uh, because Luke, the author, he records Jesus's words in Acts 1.8, saying this to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus told his disciples, I am sending you out. You're going to be my witnesses both locally and all around the world, but you're going to, you're, I'm not sending you alone, and I'm not sending you out of your own strength and your own power, but it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will enable you to be my witnesses. And we have to keep this at the forefront of our minds this morning and as we, as we travel through Acts this year because this is what was at the forefront of the minds of the, the disciples and the, and the apostles and the early followers of Jesus in the early church that they were to be witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and and we, see this, uh, we see this played out all throughout Acts, but that's what we're going to talk about this morning. What does it look like, and what does it mean to live a life that's filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit? And if you have been reading along, if you've been in our, our reading plan, or you've been studying through Acts, then you've seen the person of the Holy Spirit appear time and time again um, as he empowers both men and women, and he fills them with the Holy Spirit so that, to enable them to be his witness. But I think it's important, one thing I want to point out, is that there is a difference between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our life the gift of the Holy Spirit God has given to all believers and the filling of the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer in the room today, if you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus, if Christ is the Lord of your life, then he is giving you the Holy Spirit. Um, and we can call that the indwelling. Uh, the Apostle Paul describes it like this in Ephesians 1, uh, verse 13 through 14. He says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's promise. The Holy Spirit has been given to you as a gift if you are a believer. Paul describes him, uh, that he describes this indwelling um, as the Holy Spirit as a deposit that's been made on your behalf, right? That's, that's a guarantee that you will have inheritance, that you will be able to spend the rest of your life with Jesus. And Jesus himself told his disciples in John 14, 16, that the indwelling of the Spirit would be permanent, um, that the Spirit would dwell in us forever, but now I want you to contrast that with what we are seeing in Acts, right? That there's this filling that's happening. Um, that, that there are people who have already been given the Holy Spirit who are then being filled with the Spirit and empowered to be Christ's witness. And this is exactly what we see time and time again. Um, believers who are filled with the Spirit. And so we are called to be sent. Yes, we're sent people to witness, but not out of our own strength through the Holy Spirit. In Acts uh, in 2.4, these are some of the examples that we see at Pentecost. It says that all 
all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And they began to speak in tongues and other languages, um, or it, the Spirit enabled them to speak in other languages. In four, uh, Acts 4, 8, it says, after they prayed, there was a group of them that were gathering. They were praying together. Um, it says that the room was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, um, and enabled them to, uh, to speak. Oh, sorry, that's, uh, I gave you the wrong verse. It's okay. Um, in, in Acts 4.8 is when Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and speaks to the rulers. In Acts 4.31, the room is shaken and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. But we see these examples throughout Scripture. And these are people who have been given the Holy Spirit. They receive the Holy Spirit as a gift from God. He dwells in them. And then God is continuing filling them and empowering them to be bold witnesses for him. And I do want to point out that it's possible um, to live a life a Christian life, um, where you walk, and yes, you've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, but you're not, you're not being filled with or empowered by the Holy Spirit, right? And it's possible to live a life like that, but we don't want to be Christians who live a life like that. We want to be sent, and we want to, we want to witness, not from our own strength, not from our own power, but the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so God, he desires, yes, to draw all people to himself through his son, Jesus, Right? He, he wants all, he gave his son so that all might believe. And he wants to give us that spirit. But in addition to that, he wants to be our source of strength. He wants to be our source of wisdom. He wants to be our, our source of power. And so that everything that we do, he fills us with our Holy Spirit so we can honor him and we can glorify him day in and day out. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today. What does it look like to live a life that's filled with the Holy Spirit? And we're gonna look at a man named Philip that we, we looked at him last week and we're gonna continue his, his journey in Acts chapter eight. But before we go any further, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Um, I thank you uh, for your son, Jesus, uh, who came down to this earth and lived a, a perfect life, a sinless life for us. God, so that we could have new life in him. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would speak to us this morning, that you would teach us um, and, uh, and you would convict us and you would, you would do whatever it is that you want to do in our lives and our hearts today. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Acts chapter 8, uh, or if you have a phone, you can, you can go ahead to your uh, Bible app, Acts chapter 8. We'll get to verse 26 here in a moment. But I mentioned this man uh, named Philip. He resurfaces in Acts chapter 8, but we first hear about Philip in Acts 6, if you remember from a few weeks ago, if you can remember back that far, um, where Philip is selected as one of the seven men who are assigned to the distribution of food to the widows. And this is really important because this is kind of where we see the journey for Philip beginning. And Philip is described as a man who is full of the Spirit. But this is where it all started for Philip is Philip sees a need and he says yes. There's a need that's, that, that, that is, that is uh, available for him in the church and he says yes to it. And this is important because as we're looking at the life of Philip, we're going to learn that it's these simple yeses, these simple acts of obedience that's actually going to position him to be used by God in amazing and powerful ways. And I don't know if that speaks to you this morning, but I want to be used by God in amazing and powerful ways. Like I want to be positioned in a place where God can use me um, to do more than I could ask or imagine. And we're going to see how he does that with Philip, but it starts with a yes. And so I want to encourage you, those who are already serving, those who may be reluctant to serve, or, or maybe you're still looking for a church home, that part of positioning ourselves um, to be used by God is, is by jumping in and serving and being a part of the local church like we see Philip doing in Acts 6. Like he saw a need and he said yes. Like it may not seem like a big deal to be distributing bagels on a, sun, on a Sunday morning, right? It may not seem like a big deal to hold a baby or to be back at one of the Gen Kids classes. It may not seem like a big deal to go on a week-long retreat with high school and middle school... 
That might seem like a big deal to some of you. Um, it, it may not seem like a big deal being out in the parking lot and welcoming people into the building or hosting a small group in your home or serving maybe with some of our ministry partners. Um, but all of those things matter because it matters to the individual that you're serving. It matters to the family that you're serving. But most importantly, this is what matters to God. And it's really about the heart, right? It's saying, I want to be willing. I want to be used by you. And that's what we see in Philip. Now, last week, Dan showed us kind of the beginnings of this very successful ministry that uh, Philip is having, having in Samaria, right? Where we were seeing all of these people who are, who are being healed and they're, they're professing faith in Christ and they're being baptized. Um, and it's, pre it's pretty amazing. But Jesus, uh, God is about to ask something um, even bolder of, of Philip, something that's going to require even more trust. And that's where we're going to pick up in verse 26 today. So if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. And this man had gotten to Jerusalem to worship. So I want to stop here for a moment and I want to point out a couple things that are happening in these, in these first couple of verses um, because we may not fully understand the magnitude or the context of what God is asking Philip in this moment, okay? But an angel of the Lord appears to Philip and essentially says, hey, I want you to leave all this amazing work that's happening in Samaria and I want you to leave it and go to the middle of nowhere. I mean, Philip understands the directions that God is giving him. Go down to a desert road where there's nothing. Leave everything amazing that's happening here and go to this desert road. And if we put ourselves in Philip's shoes or we even imagine what would it be like if God asked something like that of us, we would probably have some questions, right? We might have some concerns. We might have some doubts. Um, we, might, we might be asking the question like, wait, God, you want me to leave this thriving ministry here in Samaria where these amazing things are happening? And you want me to go where? You want me to go to a desert road? Like that does it make sense? Can you give me more information? What is it, what is it that you want to do? Because remember, God doesn't tell him he's going to meet somebody on the desert road. Those aren't the instructions. He just says, I want you to go. And Philip might have had those questions and Philip might have had some of those concerns and those doubts. But all that Luke records for us is that Philip started out. That Philip says yes, that he's obedient with no hesitation, no questioning. He just goes. And this is, the, this is the obedience and the yes, this is the thing that we see uh, time and time again, far before the encounter with the angel, right? He says, uh, he says yes in Jerusalem to the, the distribution of food. He says yes in Samaria to, wit to witness to these unlikely people who the Jews didn't even want to cross through their region, right? Um, he's saying yes, and now he says yes to heading to this desert road. And so we're learning about Philip is that he's ready to serve whenever and wherever. Um, but maybe most importantly, what he's learning is this. And I, I came across this quote by Kent Hughes as I was studying this week in one of his commentaries. And Kent Hughes says this, God chooses to use human obedience to carry out his plan. Because think about this. God could have sent the angel to the desert road to meet the Ethiopian man, right? God could do that. But he wanted to use Philip. He wanted to use um, his servant. He wants to, I want you to hear this. He wants to use us in the good works that he wants to do. He's inviting us into that. And he's inviting Philip into that. Um, and obedience, is, it's simply learning to yield to Christ. It's, it's yielding and it's, and it's learning how to say, yes, I'm ready. Not, not what I want, God. I want what you want. 
God is simply looking for a willing and obedient heart. And that's what he finds in Philip, somebody who's just ready to say yes. But I, w- I want you to take note that, it, that this morning, if you're like, yes, I want to be used by God, like, yes, God, I, like, give me an opportunity. Uh, I want you to take note that God might call you into an undesirable environment, like he's calling Philip into. Um, you, may, you may actually be a little reluctant this morning, saying, I don't know if I want to say yes to serving or some of these things, because God has me like he had Philip in a, in a, in a kind of good position where things are successful and things are going well. And if I say yes, is he going to call me out of that? I don't know. I can't answer that for you. The question is, do you want to be used by God? Do you want him to, do you want to be invited into the good works that he's doing? Um, But I will say this, I'll encourage you with this, that God often does some of his most amazing work in the desert. And then we see that theme time and time again. We see the theme in Jesus's life as he's drawn into the desert. And now we're going to see that again. We're going to witness it here this morning in our text. We'll continue on here. Take uh, note of these next few words in verse uh, 27. It says, so he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. So think about this. Before Philip arrives to the destination that God has called him to, it's on his way that God has set up this divine appointment between him and this Ethiopian man. Like, I wonder what Philip was thinking as the chariot pulled around on the desert road. Did he know in that moment, this is it? Maybe. I mean, when the spirit told him to go near, maybe, maybe that's when, right? But he saw this, this, he was, he was trying to be faithful and head south. Like God told him, head to this desert road. And it's actually on his way that God sets this up. And I think there's something, there's an application there for for us in our own life, because it is easy in our society, in our culture, um, to be in a rush wherever we're going. Like some of you may have blew through two red lights just to get here on time today. Like I'm trying to get here, right? Um, It's just, there's always somewhere we need to be right now. But what if, what if what God is actually calling you to is on the way to where you're headed, like it was for Philip? What if the thing that you think you're supposed to be going to, God is actually setting something up on the way? I want to share a story with you that applies to this that I experienced a few weeks ago. Um, I was leaving the office for the day. I was heading home and my wife asked me, can you stop by the gas station, get us a couple fountain drinks uh, for dinner tonight? And so I stopped at a gas station on the way close to our house, and I've got the drinks in hand, and I bring them up to the counter, and the, the gas attendant is ringing me up for the drinks. And then he looks at me in the eyes, and he says, what are you pursuing? <laughs> Pretty intense personal question, if you ask me. Like, I'm just trying to buy a couple drinks. And it wasn't moments later that I looked down, and I realized I'm wearing a shirt that says pursue with the definition of what pursue means. Um... So what you need to know is these t-shirts, we handed them out to our high school students last year because the theme for the year last year for our high schoolers for 2022 is we're going to pursue Jesus and pursue community together. So we have this shirt that says pursue and what it means to pursue. And so here I am at the gas station and the man asks me what I'm pursuing and I'm going to just be transparent with you this morning. Okay. Here's what I wanted to say. It's just a t-shirt, man. How much do I owe you for these drinks? I want to go home now. Like, I did not want to engage in a spiritual conversation. I'm being raw with you. I'm being honest with you. It's the end of the day. I want to go home and be with, with my family. I'm on my way home, okay? That's where I'm going. And so I'll tell you, this is what I did. I did the bare minimum in the moment. I did. I answered honestly. I said, Jesus. And he responded, oh, And I felt like, well, if he asked me, I should be able to ask him. So I said, what are you pursuing? And he stutters and then says, a good life, I guess. And I said, oh, 
And then I grabbed my drinks and I left. And as I walked out and I get in my car, I just started to have this conversation with God. Like, God, did I just blow it back there? Like, what is that? Like, how often does someone ask you what you're pursuing in your life? Like, what more of an open door have you just, you just gave me? But I just wanted to be home. Uh, and so I just started, I began to confess that to God. And he, he encouraged me, like, Michael, you live down the road from this, from this gas station. You will run into this guy again. Will you be ready to say yes next time? And my response is, God, yes, I want to say yes to that or whatever it is that you have for me. And I shared this story, I'll just tell you, I shared this story with our students weeks ago with a whole different message. It just keeps coming back up. God's like, hey, look, you had this opportunity. <laughs> but here's what I'm learning. Here's what I'm learning as I'm studying this text, as I'm looking at Philip's life, is that practiced obedience brings about perfect obedience. That's the lesson I'm learning. I think it's the lesson that, that Philip's learning as well. And you know what's great about practice is you're going to mess up and you're not going to do it perfect. Um, and I didn't do it perfect in the gas station. And some of you might have stories like that today, but I'm going to continue to practice because I want to be ready to say yes to whatever it is that God's doing. And this is, this is the model we see in Philip's life. He's, he's practicing saying yes and being obedient. But I want to stop for a moment and say that I think it would be, um, it would be wrong to overemphasize Philip's example this morning without uh, mentioning the fact that Philip's model for obedience is simply the perfecter of obedience, Jesus himself. Like that's what Philip's trying to do. Jesus is the model um, for perfect obedience and humble submission to his father. He walked in the fullness of the spirit on this earth. He was completely obedient. He didn't say or do anything unless the father told him to. Jesus is the example, and he, did it, he was obedient all the way to the cross, as, as uh, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2.8. He humbled himself, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, right? I mean, that's what we're going to talk about next week at our Easter service, that Jesus was obedient even, uh, even to the cross, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. And this is Philip's model. It was Jesus. He's learning how to listen to God, and therefore now he's becoming an extension of Jesus Wherever he goes, he's flexible. He's a flexible servant. He's, he's listening to the Spirit's direction. And now it's Philip's obedience that's led him to this Ethiopian eunuch on this desert road. Let's continue. Verse 27. It says, So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. And this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in the chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, Go to the chariot and stay near it. Now, we don't have a name for this Ethiopian eunuch other than Ethiopian eunuch. That's all we get, right? We don't have a name for this man. Um, but Luke does kind of describe some things about him to help us understand who he is. And the first thing we learn is that he's a eunuch. And I've been thinking all week, how do I say this PG? So um, parents in the room, I'm sorry, this is the best I've got, okay? I don't know how to say it other than a eunuch traditionally would give up his boy parts um, as, so that he couldn't take advantage of the, like the, the queen in the palace. That's, that's it. That's essentially what is happening here, okay? And so this is, this is who he has chosen to be. He's a eunuch, but because of that, he's now been given this kind of great position um, where he is, he's this official over all the treasury of the queen of the Ethiopians is what it tells us, right? Um, some transla translations say that he's a eunuch of great authority. Okay, so this, this man uh, has great power and influence, um, but it's also important to note that he is visiting Jerusalem, but he's from Ethiopia, which means he is, he is not a Jew, 
but he's a Gentile. Um, he's from Africa, so he's likely dark-skinned, and he's, he's in this process of completing a long, thousand-mile round-trip journey from Ethiopia, to, East, Ethiopia to, to Jerusalem. And I think Luke's trying to help us understand something, because you should be asking the question, why? Why would this, why would this Gentile, why would this man um, from Ethiopia be traveling to worship in Jerusalem? Well, Luke's helping us understand he's seeking. This man is seeking. He is, he is spiritually hungry, much like, um, much like many of the people in this world today, right? I mean, much like the, the man that I encountered at the gas station who wanted to have a good life. Like there are people who are spiritually hungry and they are seeking. Now, most of society would likely look at this, Ethi- this Ethiopian man today and say, based on his position, he is powerful and he is successful and he's not lacking much, right? But I'm not so sure that, that the eunuch himself would say that about him. Because it, it, seems to, it seems to me that he is searching for something more based on this journey that he's on. Let's continue. Verse 29. It says, The Spirit told Philip, Go to the chariot and stay near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. I want to pause here. I promise we're going to get through all of the text today. <laughs> but I want to pause here for a moment. I want to ask a, a delicate, but I think important question. Because the Spirit says to Philip, go near the chariot, and, and he immediately res- responds and he listens. But it begs the question, do you know the voice of God in your life? Like if you were in Philip's situation, would you know to go near the chariot? Or would you just be on your way down south to the desert road and think nothing of the chariot? And I do think that sometimes in our own minds, and maybe even in the church as a whole, that we overcomplicate what it, what it means to hear the promptings of the Spirit or the voice of God in our life. But I want to try to not dilute it, but simplify it a little bit this morning for you. That I think it's much like a child learns to hear their parents' voice and know their parents' voice. From a young age, um, you have heard your parents' voice over and over again. You know their voice um, and and you know the way that they act and you know the way that they talk and you know their inflections. You, You know that. And if I was to invite one of you up here, blindfold you, put a group of people at the back of the room, one of which being your parents, and have them call out to you, I bet you could pick out your parents' voice because we know our parents' voice. And it's the same when it comes to God. If we want to know his voice, guess what? It takes time and we have to spend time with him and we have to be in his word. We have to abide in Christ and we have to walk with him to begin to understand his voice and to know his character and know who he is. So if somebody else comes up and they say something about God, you can say, that's not my father. Or you know the difference between the voice of the enemy and the voice of God. So just like a child, we have to spend time with our Father and know our Heavenly Father's voice. So Peter responds and he, he, he urgently runs to the chariot. Verse 30 says that he, run, he ran to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he, uh, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip up. Um, he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the uh, passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture, and he told him the good news about Jesus. 
You know what's one of the most beautiful things about this, this interaction between Philip and the Ethiopian man is Philip's intentionality in this interaction. I don't know if you caught this in verse 30, but it says that he, he ran up to the chariot and he heard, he heard the, the Ethiopian man reading the passage aloud. And what stands out to me is that he was listening before he spoke. Now, he didn't run up to the chariot with his own agenda, but instead he was listening. And I'll just tell you, this is a lesson that I need maybe more than the rest of you in the room. I'm just being honest. That sometimes the simplest tool at our disposal when we're sharing the gospel or sharing the good news is our ears. It's simply lending our ear. And I want to encourage you, when it comes to sharing the good news with others, we need to do lots and lots of listening. We need to be able to earn, uh, earn the right to share our faith. If you notice that the eunuch actually invited Philip into the chariot. Philip doesn't force his way in. Philip doesn't ask, hey, can I join you? But he's invited in. And he's now given a place and even a voice in this man's life. So take the time to earn the respect of others. Love the person enough to, to take the time as needed to be able to speak into their life. Listen to their story first. You know, wait till they ask you what you're pursuing, right? Um, but just like Philip, we should be ready to share the good news, right? We should be ready at all times to share the good news and to, to share what, what Christ has done in our own life and to be able to tell them about the power of what Christ did on the cross and, and the power of the empty tomb. And Philip was ready in that moment. Pick back up in verse 34. It says, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water and Philip baptized him. Every time I read this, I, I, I want to know what conversation took place between verses 35 and 36. Like I, we're told that Philip starts with that passage and then he shares the good news. But man, I want to hear, I want to hear what he says in that moment. Um, I want to know what that conversation looked like because Philip was given this amazing opportunity. Um, the, he's reading this Old Testament passage of the prophet Isaiah, who's reading, uh, he's literally prophesying about Jesus and the suffering that Jesus um, was going to have on this earth for all of humanity. And so Peter, or excuse me, Philip gets to say, listen, this is Jesus. Like, this is, he's talking about Jesus. This is, I can tell you about this man. Here's what he came to do, right? And then it's, it's, it's pretty evident by verse 36 that Philip, um, and maybe, you know, maybe this, I think this is safe to assume that Philip would, would probably be give, sharing the good news in the way that he had heard it shared by the apostles many times uh, before, the ending with a call to baptism, right? Because in verse 36, this is what the Ethiopian man says, look, here's water. Look, what stands in the way of my being baptized? And if you, if you don't know what baptism is, um, I want to tell you, it's, it is this beautiful picture for a follower of Jesus who says, I'm ready to follow, where, where you are dipped in water, and as you go underwater and as you're immersed, it's this representation of dying to your old self, being buried with Christ, and then coming out of the water, it's this picture of raising, being raised with Christ to new life. And, and we're going we're gonna to celebrate baptisms here at Genesis by, at the end of this month. And I want to say, if, if you, like the Ethiopian man, you've received Christ and you're ready to follow Jesus, this is your next step. Um, this, is, this, is a, this, is, this should be a part of your story. 
I mean, you should be asking yourself the question, hey, what stands in the way of me being baptized? Here's some water, right? And I, and I want to help you with that. If that is something, if that's the next step you want to take, um, I'll be available after service. Come find me. Come find Jerry or Dan or any of our, our staff, and we would love um, to talk with you about what that looks like. But this is why when we baptize uh, believers here at Genesis, uh, we declare Romans 6.11. We, we declare that, that you are dead to sin, and now you are alive in Christ. Let's continue on. So the Ethiopian man, he gives, uh, he gives orders in verse 38. He says, and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him, but went on his way rejoicing. Man, I can tell you, if you get baptized on the 30th, it might be a day you will remember, but I can't promise you it'll look anything like this. I mean, Philip baptizes the Ethiopian man and the spirit just takes him away. Like, I don't, that, I don't even know what that looks like. Um, all we know is that he's taken away and that he goes on and continues to witness in other regions. But guess what? It seems like the, the Ethiopian man is not even phased by this. So Philip is gone, but, but what's happened? Well, the Ethiopian now has Jesus, Right? And it says he goes on rejoicing. And we see back in uh, earlier in chapter 8 in verse 8 that Philip's ministry to, uh, in Samaria is described as bringing great joy to the city, what God was doing. And now we see um, in, verse, uh, in verse 30, whatever it is, 39, the Ethiopian responds by rejoicing, right? And it's important to note that like, it's not Philip, but it's God's spirit that's at work in a willing servant, and his name is Philip, and, and people are rejoicing in Christ. And it begs the question, like, do we want to see this kind of rejoicing in our community? Do we want to see um, people finding great joy in our city, in our neighborhoods, uh, in our place of work, because, because people of Genesis are being faithful to the call of being a sent people who are witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit? God, I don't know about you, but I want, I want to show up on Sunday and share stories with you and hear stories from you about here's what happened in my workplace. Here's what happened, um, here's what happened in our neighborhood last night. Like, here's what's happening in our community. Right? Like, I, would, I would love, think about it, how excited as a church we'd be sharing our stories, sharing our struggles, sharing the successes, but not what we're doing, what God's spirit is doing through us because we're saying, yes, God, I, I wanna be obedient. Fill me with your spirit so I can be used by you in amazing and powerful ways. And I wanna suggest that the best way for us to do that first is recognizing that if we wanna see that change, we might have to make some change. And maybe that's by just asking God, you know, or maybe you already know the answer to this question. God, where are some areas I'm just, I'm reluctant to say yes. I'm reluctant to be obedient. And just saying, okay, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in. Even if it feels like the thing I'm saying yes to doesn't matter. Even if the thing I, I'm saying yes to feels scary or feels like you're calling me into something, I don't, I don't know what's next. I want to just be obedient. I wanna be used by you. I wanna join the good work that you're doing. But I wanna encourage you with three things today. Three things that I think are crucial for the life of a follower of Jesus that will make room for God's uh, filling of the spirit and, and him using you day in and day out. And the first is this, it's abiding in Jesus. We touched on this a moment ago, right? Spending time with God, getting to know his voice, getting to know him and abiding just means staying connected to the source of life. 
who is Christ. It's meditating on his word. It's meditating on the gospel, reminding yourself each day the good news of what Christ did for you and what he did for your neighbors and what he's done for your community and what he did for your coworker. It's being connected to his word. In Psalm 119, 105, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so we spend time in God's word and we spend time with him. There is no greater example of obedience and humble submission and abiding than Jesus himself. And the second is this, don't tolerate sin. And I mean this personally, like don't tolerate sin in your own life. Because just like obedience makes room for the filling of the Holy Spirit, sin does the exact opposite. In, in Ephesians 4.30, Paul describes um, that, that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And so when we recognize sin in our life, we need to repent. We need to turn of it. And God's given us this Holy Spirit to give us power to overcome and to conquer sin. And I want you to hear me say this, okay? Um, that it's, it's not that the sin in your life is going to remove the Spirit. No, God's given you the Spirit to dwell in you permanently. And, it's, and it, Jesus has died for you and he's covered those sins, yes, but he poured out grace and mercy and a covering of those sins, not so that you'll continue to walk in them, but so that you'll want to turn from it. And so allow that to be an encouragement this morning to say, I need to turn and I need to repent from sin. Don't tolerate sin in your life. And the third one is this, worship. I mean, simply worship God, the creator and the maker of all things, the one who is holy and who is worthy. In Ephesians 5.18, Paul says that we should be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we should encourage one another with psalms and hymns, that we should be worshiping together, we should be in community together, we should be serving one another, we should be generous together. Really, our goal should be to, to be, our lives should be a living sacrifice for God. That's worship. Jesus's life and his obedience and his sacrifice was worship. And sometimes we think about worship just as singing songs and, and, and that's part of it, declaring who God is by song, but our life can be worship by walking in humble submission saying, okay, Christ, what is it that you, what is it that you want to do? And it's really important that you hear me say this. These three takeaways today are not a formula. Okay, like don't take these home and say, if I can check, check these off the list every day, I'm gonna get some spiritual filling. Okay, that would be legalism, right? Legalism says, let's agree on some terms, let's agree on a formula where you get what you want and I get what I want. But Christ calls us into a relationship and a relationship cares for one another, right? This desire of abiding and repenting of sin and worship towards God should be driven by his great love that he poured out through his son, Jesus, right? That we should wanna serve and obey Christ willingly because, simply because he is the one who came to serve and to die for us first. And so we respond and say, okay, I wanna, I wanna walk in that way. So that's my challenge today is how will you respond in obedience to Christ? Because it might be that you need to make, you need to, you need to do something this morning. It may, might be that you need, to, you need to respond in obedience and say yes this afternoon. It may not be tomorrow or next week. And so as we worship today, as we worship through song, I wanna encourage you to respond if you need to. Whether you need to respond alone with God or uh, some of us leaders and staff will be up front if you, if you would like prayer or if you would like to process something with us. But if, if the Holy Spirit is prompting you in some way, I wanna encourage you to respond whatever that is, be obedient to that. 
But before we close today, I want to talk to all of you who would say, I'm not a believer. I don't think I believe in Jesus. Uh, Maybe you're on the fence. Maybe you have lots of questions. Maybe you don't know how you feel about it. Maybe you don't know why you came here today. I don't know. Um, But I want you to hear me say this, that God called Philip from crowds of people in Samaria to one individual on a desert road. That's God's heart. Like when he looks at this room, he doesn't see a crowd of people. He sees you individually. God will go incredible lengths to reach his children. And just like God orchestrated this encounter between Philip and the eunuch, I wonder if God's doing something like that today. That this is a divine appointment he has for you today. And he's inviting you to follow him. So I want you to hear that he loves you, that he sees you, and that he's not gonna force his way into your life, but I can promise you that he's not going to stop pursuing you. And if you have spiritual uh, hunger or questions, it's not by accident, God's moving and he created you for himself. And so why not turn to God today? And so if there's power or influence or success or, or the lack thereof in your life that you feel like is unsatisfying, why not come to the one who can fully satisfy Jesus? And if you feel broken or you feel too far gone from God today, I, I wanna invite you to come to the one who can reconcile and restore all things back to himself. And if you feel like yourself, that you are on a desert road, that you are lost, why not meet Jesus there today? That's the invitation. Christ has died for you. He paid for your sins. He has an inheritance waiting for you along with spiritual blessings that he promises to all who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so if you need to respond this morning, I wanna tell you we will be up front during this song and even after the service. And maybe that's your step of obedience today. But I'm gonna pray and however you need to respond this morning, let's be obedient to what God is prompting in our hearts. Father, thank you for your word today. God, thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit that convicts our hearts and moves us. Father, for each of us in this room who who have that longing desire to to be used by you, would you show us ways that we can just practically say yes and walk in obedience. Father, we wanna be filled with your Holy Spirit. We wanna be empowered by you. We wanna um, wanna be your witnesses. We wanna be people who are sent into our communities, into our workplaces, into our own homes with our family. And Father, for each person who is longing for something more this morning, who can relate with the Ethiopian man who is searching and was seeking, God, I pray that they would find you today and that they would have the boldness to get up and and to move and to say, I wanna follow Jesus. God, we give all this to you and pray all this in your name. Amen.